the marks of freedom. I'm going to be speaking out of Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. You know, it was Paul's custom after dictating a letter to take a pen and to write his own farewell. And his standard signature was this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So concerned was Paul that the Galatians get the message of this letter that he took the pen and he wrote an entire concluding paragraph with his own hand. He says, look at the large letters I write with my own hand. Well, why did Paul write this paragraph? And and why did he use such large letters? The Holy Spirit inspired him to add these closing words, to give one more contrast between what? The legalist and the spirit-led Christian. To show that the spirit-led believer lives for the glory of God, not the praise of man. And he wrote in large letters for emphasis. Don't miss this. Some Bible students believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was some kind of eye trouble. And this would mean that he would have to write in real large letters so that he himself would be able to read what he had written. But whether or not this is true, Paul was making it clear that he had something important to write in conclusion and that he was not simply going to end the letter in some uh, conventional matter. If he did have eye trouble, his willingness... His willingness to write this closing paragraph with his own hand would certainly appeal to the hearts of his readers. He's shown them that the believer living under the law and the believer living under grace are diametrically opposed to each other. It's not just a matter of, quote, uh, different doctrine. No, it's not just a matter of that, but it's a matter of two different ways of life. They had to choose between bondage or liberty. The, see Galatians chapter 5, the flesh or the spirit, and living for self or living for others. They had to make that choice. We have to make that choice. Now he presented a further contrast, and that was living for the praise of men for the glory of God. He was dealing with motive, and there is no greater need in our churches today for an examination of the motives of our ministries. Think about it. What's the motive of your ministry? What is your motive when you begin to, to minister the Word of God? You know, we know that what we know what we are doing, but do we know why we are doing it? The good work is spoiled by a bad motive. That's for sure. A good work is spoiled by a bad motive within you. Paul approached this uh, delicate subject in an interesting way. The legalists wanted to subject the Galatian believers to circumcision. So Paul took this up and he related it uh, to the work of Christ on the cross and also to his own ministry. In this paragraph, Paul presented three marked men. The legalist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul himself. 
So in verses 12 through 13, the legalist Paul did not have anything good to say about the legalist. He described him and his kind in four ways. They are braggarts. That's what Paul said. They are braggarts. See verse 12 and verse 13. Their main purpose was not to win people to Christ or even to help the believers to grow in grace. But their chief purpose was to win more converts so they could brag about them. They wanted to make a fine impression outwardly, even though they did no good thing inwardly. Their work was not done for the good of the church. Their work was not done for the glory of God. It was done for their own glory. And while it's certainly not wrong to want to win people to Christ, that's a good thing. But what is your motive? It's not wrong to want to see the work uh, of the Lord increase. But it's definitely wrong to want these blessings for the glory of man. So we want to see more people sharing in our ministries, not so that we can count people, but because people can count. But we must be careful not to use people to further our own selfish programs for our own glorification. I receive a number of local church newsletters and newspapers. I was shocked to find an article in one of them in which the pastor named several other churches and and then proceeded to explain how his church was so much better. Some of the churches that he mentioned were not evangelical in belief and I wondered what those members would think of Christ and the gospel if they read this boastful critique about themselves. No doubt, you know, it made uh, it difficult for the believers to witness to those or to these other people once this pastor had condemned their churches. Yes. So they're compromisers. See verse 12. They're compromisers. Why did they preach? And why did they practice circumcision and all that they went through? And all that went with it, actually, to escape persecution because Paul preached the grace of God. Let me say that again, because Paul preached the grace of God, which is what we should be preaching also, and salvation apart from the works of the law. He was persecuted for that. See Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. The Judaizers tried to to make the Christians think that they too were Christians. They tried to convince everyone of that. And they tried to make the followers of the Mosaic law think that they too obeyed the law. But consequently, they escaped being persecuted by the legalistic group, group for their identification with the cross of Christ and its devastating effect on the law. So, you know, we are prone to look at the cross and look at the crucifixion in a sentimental way. We wear crosses on our lapels or or chains around our necks. But to the first century citizen, the cross was not a beautiful piece of jewelry. It was the lowest form of death and the ultimate in humiliation. 
The proper Roman citizen would never mention the cross in polite conversation. It stood for rejection. It stood for shame. And when Paul trusted Christ, he identified himself with the cross of Jesus Christ. And he took the consequences of, of identifying himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Jew, the cross was a stumbling block. And to the Gentile, it was foolishness. See 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The legalist emphasizing circumcision rather than crucifixion won many converts. There was a popular religion because it, it avoided the shame of the cross. They made it popular. They made it a popular religion. Just like people do today. They can make it popular by, you know, uh, handing out a lot of candy. And I, I say that in the way of words. You know, everything's good, everything's sweet. That's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel will cost you everything. In verses 12, um, they're persuaders. The word constrain carries with it the idea of strong persuasion and even force. It's translated compel. Compel is a very strong word. You, you can find that in Galatians chapter 2, 14. While it does not mean to force against one's will, it is still a strong word. It indicates that the Judaizers were great persuaders. They had a great say quote, sales talk that convinced the Galatian believers that legalism was the way for them. Well, whenever Paul presented the word, it was in truth and it was in sincerity and he used no oratorical tricks or, or debater skills. He did not do any of that. He presented the word of God to his listeners and allowed the Holy Spirit to use the word of God in the hearts of people. Paul was not a politician. He was an ambassador for Christ. In verse 13, we see that they are hypocrites. They want you to submit to the law, but they themselves don't want to obey the law. The legalists belong to the same group as the Pharisees, about whom Jesus said, They say and do not do. See Matthew 23, verse 3. Of course, Paul was not suggesting that the Judaizers should keep the law because keeping the law is neither possible nor is it necessary. Whoops, I lost my page. Rather, he was condemning them for their dishonesty. They had no intention of keeping the law. Even if they could, they had no intention of doing that. Their reverence for the law was only a mask to cover their real goal. Winning more converts to their cause. That's what they wanted to do. That's what they were up to. They wanted to report more statistics to get more glory. That's right, they were after the glory. So yes, the legalist is a marked man. So when you detect him, you need to avoid him. See uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Paul kept coming back to the cross. 
in Galatians 2, verses 21, If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The wounds of Calvary certainly make Christ a marked man. For those wounds mean liberty to those who will trust him. The Judaizers boasted in circumcision, but Paul boasted in a crucified and risen Savior. He glorified in the cross of Jesus Christ. So certainly this does not mean that he, he, he gloried in the, in the brutality nor the suffering of the cross. He was not looking at the cross as a piece of wood on which a criminal died. He was looking at the cross of Christ and glor- glorying in it. Now, why would Paul glory in the cross? Some might ask that question. He knew the person of the cross. Jesus Christ is mentioned at least 45 times in the Galatian letter, which means that one-third of the verses contain some reference to Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ captivated Paul, and it was Christ who made the cross glorious to him. In his early years as a Jewish rabbi, Paul had, he had much to glory in. See Galatians 1, 13 and 14. See Philippians 3, verses 1 through 10. But after he met Christ, all his self-glory turned to mere refuse. Garbage. It was nothing. It was worthless. The legalists did not glory in the cross of Christ because... Why? Because they did not glory in Christ. It was Moses and themselves who got the glory. They did not really know the person of the cross. They didn't know him at all. He knew the power of the cross. Paul did. Paul knew the power of the cross. To Saul, the learned Jewish rabbi, a doctrine of sacrifice on a, on a cross was utterly preposterous. That the Messiah would come, he had no doubt. But that he would come to die and to die on a cursed cross, well, there was no place for this in Saul's theology. The cross in that day was the ultimate example of weakness and shame. Yet Saul of Tarsus experienced the power of the cross and became Paul the Apostle the cross ceased to be a stumbling block to him. And it became instead the very foundation stone of his message. Christ died for our sins. For Paul, the cross meant liberty from self. See Galatians 2.20. For Paul, the cross meant the liberty from the, the flesh and from the world. In the death and the resurrection of Christ, the power of God is released to give believers deliverance and victory. It's no longer we who live. It is Christ who lives in us and through us. Yes, as we yield to him, we have victory over the world and the flesh. There's certainly no power in the law to give a man victory over self. There's no power in the law to give a man victory over the flesh or the world. Quite the contrary. The law appeals to the human ego. 
and it encourages the flesh to work. And the world does not care if we are religious. Let me let me emphasize that over and over and over again. The world does not care if we are religious. Just so long as the cross is left out, just so long as the blood is left out. In fact, the world approves of religion. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it approves of religion. So the legalist inflates the ego, flatters the flesh, and pleases the world. Let me say that one more time because it is so true. So true today. The legalist inflates the ego, flatters the flesh, and pleases the world. The true Christian crucifies all three of those. He knew the purpose of the cross. Paul knew the purpose of the cross. It was to to bring into the world a new, quote, people of God. For centuries, the nation of Israel had been the people of God, and the law had been their way of life. All of this was preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. All of this was preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. See Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. Now that Christ had come and he'd finished his great work of redemption, God had set aside the nation of Israel and brought into the world a new creation and a new nation, the Israel of God. And this does not mean that God is finished with the nation of Israel. Today, God is calling out for both Jews and Gentiles, quote, a people for his name. See Acts 15, verse 14. And in Christ, there are no racial or national distinctions. Paul clearly taught, however, that there is a future in God's plan for the Jewish nation. One purpose of the cross was to bring in a new creation. This new creation is the church, the body of Christ. The, quote, old creation was headed by Adam and ended in failure. The new creation is headed by Jesus Christ and it is going to succeed. Uh, To the Romans, Paul explained the doctrine of the two, the, the, the two different Adams, Adam and Christ. See Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. The first Adam disobeyed God, brought brought into the world sin, death, and judgment. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, obeyed God and brought life, righteous, righteousness, and salvation. Adam committed one sin and plunged all of creation into judgment. Christ performed one act of obedience in his death on the cross and paid for all the sins of the world. Because of Adam's sin, death reigns in this world. Because of Christ's victory, we can reign in this life through Jesus Christ. 
Romans 5 verse 17. In other words, the believer belongs to a new creation, a spiritual creation that knows nothing of the defects and limitations of the old creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Another purpose of the cross was to create a new, a new nation, the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16. This is one of the many names of the church found in the New Testament. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, he said, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Matthew 21, 43. Peter identified that nation as the family of God. He said, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 1 Peter 2 and 9. And then, as mentioned previously, this does not mean that the church has permanently replaced the nation of Israel in the, in the program of God, but only that the church is the people of God, the earth today, just as Israel was in centuries past, when a, re, when a rebuke to the Judaizers, what a rebuke to the Judaizers, They wanted to take the church back into Old Testament law when that law could not even be kept by the nation of Israel. That nation was set aside to make way for God's new people, the church, the remnant church. Believers today may not be Abraham's children in the flesh, but they are Abraham's seed through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, verses 28 and 29. They have experienced a circumcision of the heart that is far more effective than physical circumcision. For this reason, neither circumcision nor the lack of it is of any consequence to God. There was a time when Paul was proud of his mark of circumcision, but after he became a believer... He became a marked man in a different way. He now gloried in the scars he had received and in the suffering he had endured in the service of Jesus Christ. The contrast with the legalist is plain to see. The Judaizers want to mark your flesh and brag about you. But I bear in my body the brands of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. What a rebuke. If your religious celebrities have any scars to show for the glory of Christ, then let them be shown. Otherwise, stop bothering me. Paul was not claiming that he bore the five wounds of Calvary. On his body. Rather, he was affirming that he had suffered for Christ's sake. And I will say in quotes something the legalist never did. They did not suffer for Christ's sake. But Paul not only suffered for Christ's sake, but he also had 
on his body the scars to prove it. And when you read 2 Corinthians 11, 18 through 33, you have no difficulty understanding this claim of his. For in many ways and in many places, Paul suffered physically for Christ. In Paul's day, it was not unusual for the followers of some heathen god or goddess to be branded with a mark of that idol. He was proud of his God and wanted others to know it. Well, in the same way, Paul was branded, quote, branded for Jesus Christ, and we should be too. It was not a temporary mark that could be removed, but a permanent mark that he would take to his grave. Nor did he receive brands in an easy way. He had to suffer repeatedly to become a marked man for Christ. I want you to think about your own life as you, as you hear what I'm saying here about Paul becoming a marked man for Christ. It was also the practice in that day to brand slaves so that everyone would know who the owner was. Paul was the slave of Jesus Christ, and he wore his mark to prove it. It's worth noting that sin brands a person. It may mark his mind, his personality, even his body. Few people are proud of the sin marks they bear. And conversion does not change them. How much better it is to love Christ and live for him and be branded for his glory. Believers today need to remember that it is the Christian leader that has suffered for Christ who has something to actually offer you. The Judaizers in Paul's day knew nothing of suffering. They may have persecuted in some small way. They might have been persecuted for belonging to a, quote, religious group. But this is far different from the, quote, the fellowship of his sufferings, talking about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings in Paul's life. See Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Beware of that religious leaders who lives in his ivory tower and knows nothing of battling against the world, the flesh, and the devil, who has no marks to show for his obedience to Christ. Paul was no armchair general. He was out on the front lines. He was waging war against sin and taking his share of suffering. So Paul comes to the end of his letter here, and he closes just the way he began, with grace. Not the law of Moses, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, no more need be said, because that says it all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.